Thanks so much. Um, could you uh, take your Bibles and uh, turn to Second Corinthians? New Testament book of Second Corinthians, <clears throat> chapter 1. This is just the third week in our rather lengthy, lengthy uh, study of this book written by the Apostle Paul. And I thought as you're looking for Second Corinthians, I could explain the title of our series to you. The title is Criticism, Conviction, and Concern. First of all, you'll notice by the title that there's three C words. Criticism. The reason that's there is because throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul is addressing criticism that's been coming his way. Uh, there's been a lot of false accusation toward Paul. People are criticizing his character, his motives, his conduct, even his speech, uh, his appearance. There's a lot of criticism coming toward the Apostle Paul. They're even questioning whether he should be an apostle, that he's um, qualified to be an apostle. So we're going to look at a lot of <clears throat> criticism that's uh, geared toward the Apostle Paul in this letter. The second word is conviction, because we're going to see how Paul uh, responds to the criticism, how he addresses it. And one of the things we're going to see is that he does it with conviction. Conviction about his uh, motives, conviction about his um, credibility, conviction about his uh, call to be an apostle, conviction about his very beliefs in Jesus Christ, uh, conviction about the message that the Lord has called him to present. You can see a lot of conviction uh, on the part of the Apostle Paul. And then the third word is concern, which is really interesting that in the midst of addressing uh, the criticism and being very uh, strong about that as far as his convictions, he shows concern for the very people who are criticizing him which is an interesting combination. <clears throat> and because of these three words, like I said a couple of weeks ago, 2 Corinthians is probably the most personal letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. Ever wrote. It's very personal because of what he's experiencing, how he's going to address it, and the spirit in which he addresses it. Um, <clears throat> If you were here two weeks ago, on your study sheet, there was kind of a timetable that leads up to Paul writing this letter. And um, it's a timetable that's very important, especially for this morning, as we come to today's text, um, to understand what's happening here. So I grabbed uh, the sheet from last uh, couple Sundays ago, and I'm just going to take you back through the timetable that leads up to this letter we're studying. Paul's first visit to the city of Corinth was in about 50 A.D. He spent a year and a half there preaching the gospel and teaching new believers as they uh, committed their lives to Christ. So he was there a whole year and a half, really got to know the people, came to love them, and helped them establish a church. And then he left. Shortly after he left, <coughs> he... Uh, he heard about something that was going on in the Corinthian church back there. 
in Corinth. And you can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Apparently there was a man in the church who was involved in some sexual immorality that even the pagans around them didn't tolerate. And yet he continued in that sin. And um, the part that really disturbs Paul is that the church wasn't doing anything about it. In fact, it says they were arrogant about it, as though they were proud that they were letting this go on. And so what he does is he sends a letter, a letter that's not in our scriptures. But he sends a letter addressing that issue, encouraging them to do something about this. And, uh, in fact, send the man out of the church. Well, then, in... uh, About 55 A.D., that issue still has not been addressed by the church. So um, he writes another letter, which we have in our scripture, called 1 Corinthians. And there he addresses a lot of issues going on in the church. But in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he talks about that particular issue of sexual immorality. Because they hadn't done anything about it. It was still going on. And so he repeats what he had told them in the first letter. Address it. uh, Deal with this man. They did not do that. There was no action taken. And the situation continued. And so we're told that Paul then decides to take an unplanned trip back to Corinth. He calls it a painful visit. And he goes back to confront them in person about this situation. And it was a painful visit because it didn't go well. It was very tense. And uh, there was no response to Paul as far as what he wanted them to do. And so he goes back to where he's been ministering and he decides to send another letter. And this third letter is not recorded in our scripture, but it's called a severe letter in the scripture. That's how Paul refers to it. It's a severe letter. So he must have really um, uh, dealt with that issue once again. And uh, it looks like he sent that letter with Titus, a partner of his named Titus. And Titus brought that severe letter to the Corinthian church. And then we have what's called 2 Corinthians. So we're about six years after Paul first went to Corinth. We're about four and a half years into him trying to deal with this one issue in Corinth. And he writes what is in our Bible called 2 Corinthians. And... uh, It's important to know that timetable because that issue is going to come up again uh, today in the first part of uh, chapter 2. So let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll look at what comes early in this letter about that situation. Father, we thank you for uh, your presence here. Father, we've sung a lot of songs that lift you up, but they've also made some big statements some big promises to you. Father, I pray that there would be many among us 
who seriously made those promises and that we will go from here determined to live them out, whatever they were. Father, I pray that as we uh, look at this scripture and look in on the experience that uh, Paul had with this church in Corinth, Lord, I pray that even his experience with them would somehow become an example for us, that we would learn something from what he went through. Father, I pray that uh, we would be able to listen and we would be able to see what it is you want for us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you, uh, have you noticed that when troubles come, and they come, right? We, we all enter this place today with troubles. But have you ever noticed that when troubles come, they seem to come um, all together? It's, it's like you never have one trouble at a time. You ever just wished or prayed to God, God, could you just give me one difficulty at a time? No? It doesn't ever seem to be that way. It's like troubles come um, in groups. And they just kind of pile one on top of the other and get really heavy. And we're trying to deal with this one, and then there's this one, and then there's this one, and now we've got to jump back to this one, and then this one raises its head again. We've got to deal with that. And it's really hard. You know, we're, um, we're having a hard time at work when at the same time, we have some kind of physical problem that we're having to deal with and all these doctor visits. And at the same time, our vehicles aren't working. And all of that is happening at the same time. We're not doing well at school academically. We're not getting along with some of the kids. And to... Add to that, my girlfriend broke up with me. See, even teens deal with numerous troubles at the same time. Or we're having financial difficulties, really hard financial difficulties. But at the same time, we're suffering pain physically. At the same time, there's stress and strain in our home. And we could go on and on. The idea is it's so common that when we go through troubles, it's numerous ones at the same time. It's seldom one at a time. That was Paul's experience as we come to this letter that he writes. He is experiencing a number of troubles all at the same time. For one thing, as we learned last week in the early part of chapter 1, He is experiencing in Asia, where he is, a lot of difficulty, a lot of pressures, to the point where, if you remember last week, he was even thinking he wouldn't survive. That the end of his life was coming. What he was experiencing was so difficult there in Asia. And uh, some examples that we know of is, In the city of Ephesus, he experienced all kinds of opposition and dangers. We know in the city of Lydia there in Asia, he was stoned and left for dead outside the city. It was like every town he went to, he was opposed. 
and uh, his life was threatened. So he was dealing with all of that in his ministry. But at the same time, he is hearing all this criticism and false accusations coming at him. There are people out there who he calls deceitful workers, uh, false teachers, but they're going around spreading these accusations, these criticisms of Paul concerning his character, his conduct, the way he does ministry, suggesting he doesn't even belong in ministry. His motives are wrong. So he's having to deal with all these criticisms. But there's also another difficulty. For four and a half years before writing this letter, he has been trying to get the Corinthian church back there in Achaia to deal with this situation there. And he's written a letter and then a second letter and he's made a painful visit and nothing worked. It's like everything he tried failed. That man and the church would not cooperate. And for four and a half years, that's been on his mind. His heart was broken as to what was going on in that church. And so he has that going on. He's got all the opposition and dangers in his ministry. And then he's got all this criticism and all these accusations coming at him. And some of them were even coming from the Corinthian church. Because of this tense situation dealing with this man and the fact that they weren't uh, addressing it, um, some of the Corinthian people apparently were believing the false accusations and the criticisms that were out there. And so he's got all this on him. And so that's the context. It wasn't glamorous to be the Apostle Paul. He had numerous troubles. They were piling on him just like they pile on you and I. And if he were to walk in our church this morning, he would be weighed down with as many troubles as you when you walked into this church. Numerous troubles at the same time. <clears throat> um, today, as he starts... In verse 12 of chapter 1, he has to deal with criticism and accusations that came with changed plans. You ever changed your plans? You ever told somebody you were going to do something, this is the plan, and then you changed your plan? Has anybody ever done that to you? They made a promise. They, they said, this is our plan, and then they change it. That happened to us this week. We were supposed to have overnight guests on Friday night. Friday afternoon, we got a text saying plans were changed. And the reason they gave was very understandable. But I want you to remember this. In the days of the Apostle Paul, when a plan was changed, you couldn't just get your phone out and text, and in a moment, the other people know that you've changed your plans and you've heard why. That just didn't happen. Corinth and where Paul was were in different countries. It would take weeks or months 
by courier to get the message. And that allows for a lot of misunderstanding. That opens the door for a lot of false conclusions. And criticism. And that's what's happened. Paul changed some plans. The Corinthian people did not appreciate that. Let, let's just read it and see, see what happens. Then we'll just kind of point out some things in it. Starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so, relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand, and I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not Yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, Put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And I call God as my witness. And I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I've grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me glad. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. So I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. What was the original plan that got changed? Well, he mentions it here. Verse 15. Here's the original plan. I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia so I'd see you twice. And then to have you send me on my way to Judea. If you just look backwards to the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, you see him uh, making that plan. And this is like a year earlier. 
in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5. He says, after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. That was the promise. That was the plan. But the promise didn't get fulfilled. Because this issue that was going on in Corinth that he had to deal with for four and a half years never got resolved. And if you notice how the plan changed, he says in, uh, let's see, first part of chapter 2, he said, I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit. I decided I wasn't going to make another painful visit. The first one was bad. It didn't turn out. So he says, verse 3 and 4, I wrote to you. I decided I wasn't going to come back and deal with this again in person. I, I wrote to you. So I wrote a letter. And he says, I wrote it, verse 4 of chapter 2, out of great distress, anguish of heart, many tears. He wrote a very serious letter. But that was the change of plan. Okay. He had told them he was going to come. He was going to go to Macedonia. On the way, he'd stop in Corinth. And on the way back, he'd stop in Corinth. And he'd spend time there, maybe even the winter. And he never came. The only time he came was this really short, painful visit. And so he said, I decided I'm not going to come. I'm just going to write this letter. But like hap what happens a lot of times, uh, things get misunderstood. And remember the time. Again, he couldn't, when he changed his mind, when he changed the plan, send off a text to them or email somebody in the church or call somebody to tell them of the changed plans. He just never showed up. And so people were left to decide why he didn't keep his promise on their own. And that's why he talks about, you know, I hope you understand eventually. You know? Because they've misunderstood. And they've been criticizing him. And that's why... He starts out 2 Corinthians this way. They are joining these false teachers in questioning his integrity, questioning his motives, you know, questioning his dependability. Can we trust him? Can we believe him when he makes a promise, when he says he's going to do something? They've misunderstood and they've started criticizing him. And that's what he's dealing with. Notice in chapter 1, thereafter he reminds them of the promise. In verse 17, he says, Was I fickle when I intended to do this? In other words, was I careless in making that promise to you? Um, was I undependable? Was I 
just deceiving you? Sounds like that's what they thought. Then he says, or do I make plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? You know, am I the kind of guy that says, yes, I'll do this, and then I don't? Am I the kind of man who makes a promise and then I don't keep it? Is, is that the kind of person I am? And he says in verse 18, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. And he goes on to talk about Jesus. He goes on to talk about how Jesus was not a yes and no person, that you could count on what Jesus said, that Jesus kept his promises. And he says, we try to be like that. And then he reminds them that God is a promise keeper. I'm glad we sang that song about that. He keeps his promises. And he reminds them that God is a promise keeper. And then he talks about how God had given uh, him and, and the Corinthian Christians the Holy Spirit. And that was a promise kept, wasn't it? There was a promise that God would send his spirit to his people. And Paul reminds them, God is a promise keeper. He gave us his spirit. That was his promise. And then he says in verse 23, I call God as my witness, this promise keeper. And I stake my life on it. That it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. That's his explanation. He says, I didn't want to come back again after that painful visit. I didn't want to come back and grieve you again. I didn't want to come back and intensify the strain that's already there between us. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to spare you from that. And so I wrote that severe letter. And he says, I wrote it, verse 4 of chapter 2, out of great distress, anguish of heart, many tears, not to grieve you, to let you know how much I love you. So, you see the conviction? With God as my witness. I wasn't deceiving you. I stake my life on it. You can trust me. This wasn't me speaking out of two sides of my mouth when I made this promise. That's conviction. But there's also concern. He said, instead of making that painful visit, a second one, I decided to write. And I wrote with tears. I wrote with anguish in my heart. And I wrote the letter out of love. Don't misunderstand. You ever been there? You ever experienced what Paul's experiencing? You, We've probably all been on both sides of criticism and misunderstanding, right? I mean, not only in changed plans, probably had our experiences there too, you know, where you changed your plans, you promised somebody you'd do something or, or be there, and then some really good reason came up for not being able to do it, and yet instead of 
checking it out, they just misunderstood and came up with their own idea of why you changed the plans. They took it personally, whatever, and started criticizing you. Maybe you've experienced that. So you know what it's like for someone to misunderstand and to falsely accuse you of certain motives and to start criticizing you, even in front of other people and to other people. And if you've experienced that, you know what Paul was experiencing then. And remember, this is happening along with all the troubles he's experiencing in his ministry in Asia. And this is happening along with four and a half years of back and forth trying to deal with this one situation. Now he's got Corinthian people criticizing him and falsely accusing him and misunderstanding his motives. He's just piling on him. And so he has to address the criticism. And he does it with conviction. But he does it with concern at the same time. Or maybe you've been the person on the side of not taking the time to check out motives and reasons for something that happened. And you have misunderstood somebody. And you have decided something that wasn't even true as to why they did it or said it. And you haven't listened to them. And you haven't checked it out. And so you go on in your misunderstanding and your criticism. Maybe you've been on that side. On your sheet, there are two lists. And I encourage you to go through them sometime. There's a list that describes the person who has misunderstood and chosen to be criticizing. And it describes the danger of that if you let it go on without trying to check it out and find out the real reasons. On the other side, you have the person who has been misunderstood and criticized. And the dangers that person can experience and face if this isn't resolved. So I want you to just take that as extra homework and kind of think through that. Um, what can become true of either side if it's allowed to go on. But I just want to uh, have you see at the beginning what Paul is going through, because we're going to see this come out in different ways throughout this letter. Criticism, misunderstanding, um, false accusations. And I want you to see how every time Paul addresses it, it's with conviction and it's with concern. What a combination. What an example for us. So, that is the situation because of changed plans. Then he moves into what I would call good news. Good news. Starting in verse 5 of chapter 2. It says, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely. Probably referring to this man in their church who's involved in this terrible sin that even uh, the pagans don't tolerate among them. And he's saying, this man has grieved me, but he's grieved you too as a church. 
Verse 6, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now, wait a minute. What's going on here? He's talking about forgiving this guy. He's talking about reaffirming your love for this guy. What's going on? It sounds almost like things have changed in Corinth. And they've come around. And not only they came around and addressed it and sent the guy out of the church, but the guy must have repented because now Paul is saying, forgive him. Did we miss something? Well, unfortunately, Paul didn't talk about what we missed till chapter 7. So let's go to chapter 7. <clears throat> Remember, I suggested that Titus was sent with that severe letter back to Corinth. Paul didn't want to go back with another painful visit, so he sent the letter. Apparently, Titus brought the letter to Corinth. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5. For when we came into Macedonia, see, he, he did go to Macedonia, but he never stopped at Corinth. So he said, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. See, that stuff kept happening to Paul. Verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. By the coming of Titus, Titus came back. And not only by his coming, but by the comfort you gave him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Then he says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now... I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. And he goes on and he says that he's encouraged. He goes on in verse 13 to say that he's happy with the news Titus brought back. Um, what happened? <clears throat> Apparently, when the people were read this severe letter that Paul sent back with Titus, after four and a half years, they responded. We don't know what was in that letter, just that it was severe. But they responded, and they repented, and they addressed the situation. And it looks like it worked. It looks like the man repented then of his sin. And that's why in chapter 2, Paul says, it's time to forgive him. I've forgiven him. It's time to reaffirm your love for him? Because if you don't, if you don't forgive him, if you don't reaffirm your love, Satan's going to have a heyday. Satan's going to work. So, so what are we seeing here? We are seeing Paul with, like us, all these troubles piled on him at the same time. 
that he has to deal with. And then he gets good news. He gets good news. After four and a half years of dealing with that issue and all the pain it caused and all the grief it caused, it worked. There was repentance. And it was time to forgive. Titus brought back good news in the midst of Paul having to deal with the criticisms and having to deal with uh, the troubles that he had in Asia and Macedonia. He got some good news. What can we learn from that? I think we can learn something about our God. Okay? I think we can. I think that we have a God that no matter what the troubles are that we're going through, no matter how many of them at the same time are piling on, that He is a God that's always working and at just the right time, in the midst of all the troubles, He'll make sure that there will be some good news. There will be some good news that probably won't take away all the troubles. But it'll be there at just the right time to encourage us, to bring a little piece of joy, and help us keep walking on. Now, in Paul's situation, this good news eliminated one of the troubles. Right? It eliminated the situation of this man in sin and, and the arrogance of the church and not dealing with four and a half years of it. But the good news was about how the trouble was now gone. It was taken care of. But that didn't mean that the other troubles were gone. Paul was and would continue to experience trouble after trouble. And we'll see that as we go through this book and the criticism wouldn't stop the criticism will go on from the false teachers the deceitful workers and maybe even somebody still in Corinth that'll still go on but the good news here actually eliminated one of the troubles sometimes good news doesn't eliminate any of our troubles but it comes at just the right time to help us keep going forward, keep moving on, and deal with the problems and the difficulties. I think that's what we learn from this section. Um, No matter what's going on, we have a God that makes sure at just the right time there will be good news. On your sheet, I have a statement that I want you to remember. I want you to remember this. Um, By the way, I've experienced this recently. Um, As I look back the last month, uh, I could list maybe more than three difficulties that I've been facing and experiencing. But I could also, if I had time, tell you about two incidents in the last month where God in his perfect timing brought me good news. Uh, And I think many of you have experienced that. 
in your walk with God. In the midst of the troubles, he has a way of bringing at just the right time some good news that keeps you going, encourages you. So here's the statement. Brothers and sisters in Christ, always remember that in the midst of numerous trials, difficulties, suffering, and distress, our good and faithful God is at work. And there will be good news. Look and listen for it. It's coming. Jesus said in John chapter 5, My Father is at work and He's always working. Friends, believe that. God is always working. Whether you see it or feel it, the truth is He's always working. And in James chapter 1, James says, In the trials, He will make sure that something good is produced. And then we have a promise Remember, Paul said, God is not a God who is a yes and no God. He keeps his promises. One promise is in Romans 8. And we'll close with this. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, God works for the good. He's at work. And at some point, there will be good news because he's working for our good. He's causing things to work together for good. But here's what I want you to see in this promise. God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose, who belong to him. Friends, you may not like to hear it, but that promise isn't for everybody. God works all things together for good to those who love him, who belong to him. It's not a promise for the whole world. It's a promise for those who belong to him and love him. And the promise isn't yes and no. The promise is yes. God is working. He is working for your good. And at just the right time, and in just the right way, there will be good news. It won't take away all the troubles, but there will be good news. And that good news will keep you going, keep you moving. So let me read that statement and then close in prayer. Brothers and sisters in Christ, always remember that in the midst of numerous trials, difficulties, suffering, and distress, our good and faithful God is at work. And there will be good news. Look and listen for it. It's coming. For those who love him and belong to him. If you don't belong to the Lord... If you don't love him, the only good news for you right now is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he loves you. He came. He went to the cross to pay for your sins. That you might be forgiven 
and belong to him. And through repentance of that sin and seeking that forgiveness and committing your life to Jesus and going on to live for him, loving him, this promise becomes yours. Let's pray. Our Father, we, um, we relate to the Apostle Paul. It must have been very difficult for him to be experiencing all these great difficulties at the same time. And Lord, it broke his heart. And uh, Father, we thank you that at just the right time in his situation, you brought good news. It must have been amazing the day Titus came from Corinth and told him that the man had repented, the church had done what Paul wanted him to do, and all was well. What a joyful time. And Father, I, I can just imagine that this gave Paul the strength to move on with all the other difficulties. Reminded that you were at work for his good. And that there would be, even though it didn't feel like it or look like it, good news again down the road. Father, help us to learn from Paul's experience. Uh, show us further, just in our hearts today and this week, what it was you wanted us to hear and see through this part of Scripture. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.